Welcome, dear friends, to the Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast hosted by three gentlemen for whom the very wheel itself bends around. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Bill, Rob, and Rich. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am your host, Rob. I am going to be running this podcast solo this week. It was great to have the whole gang back together to go through that BP chapter number 40, where Rand is introduced to the court of Camelon and gets a whole bunch of new friends. But but today, for chapter 41, I will be flying solo. Rich is hip deep in training, in training for the weightlifting tournament that he is going to be taking part of. And Bill is actually working on a charity event. Actually, this is the second annual of this specific charity event. Uh, we will probably have details to pass on to you if you're interested. It is for a good cause. Uh, once Bill has a little more things in line and can announce the uh, second annual fill-in-the-blank charity event, we'll definitely have uh, those details out to you if you wanted to be a part of it. So this is the part where I normally go over any new iTunes reviews that we have. As of right now, we don't have any new iTunes reviews, but that's perfectly fine. I am still, always, as always, more than happy with the response and love that we are receiving from this great community. Before we started this podcast, I never delved into the Twitter of Time uh, community or any other extraneous Wheel of Time community. I had read the books. I enjoyed them on my own solo, had a few real-life friends that I would talk to about, but didn't really go out into the community and look and see what kind of support there was. It's just incredible how much positivity and love and creativity there is within just the fans uh, on Twitter and the Twitter of Time hashtag. So just one big good on you, mate. Really, really good job. I love the community, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you very much. As far as Wheel of Time news goes, there has been a, a lot of information being brought out by the uh, camp in Prague. A lot of castings, a lot of uh, characters, a lot of secondary and tertiary characters are being filled in. You know, I'm not going to go into all the details and all of those character uh, castings aside from what is tongue-in-cheek probably the most controversial that is the casting of Archie the Horse as our beloved creator, Bella herself. And it sparks uh, controversy as this is a gendered swap casting. Unless, you know, I didn't see the entire picture of Archie, just this, just his head. Maybe it's short for Archelina. I don't know. Just saying. But we now have our Bella, Ty, Shar, Archie. Welcome to the pattern. Glad to meet you. That brings me to one other point with the casting I wanted to mention. We do not have, of all the now characters that are out there, you know, when we didn't get Tom for the longest time, everybody was worried about, what about Tom? What about Tom? Well, we don't have Min, Elaine, or Avienda. And now, it's going to be curious to see how Rafe and company handle the final three castings of Elaine, Min, and a character we haven't met yet, Avienda. So that will take us into our chapter review. We are up to chapter 41, Old Friends and New Threats. 
when we last left Rand, he was running from the gates of Camelon, away from the court, away from the princess daughter heir, away from Gawain and Galad and Gareth and Talon, away from Queen Morghese and Elida Sedai. He wanted to get back to some level of comfort, some people that he knows, back to the Queen's blessing. Luckily, he gave the false scent and he, and he mentioned, I forget the other name of the inn, but he mentioned a different inn's name. So if Elida or anyone else wanted to go looking for Rand, they'd take him a little bit of time. They wouldn't go straight to the Queen's Blessing. So as our chapter opens, Rand makes it all the way back to the Queen's Blessing, panting and huffing, you know, Rand the whole way, oh my God, you won't believe the day I had. So he finds Basil. It's as if he's trying to find Basil. He's got to tell somebody. There's no way this information bomb inside his head just can't go off. And he's got to blow up and say, guess who I ran into? <laughs> but he, he, he makes it straight for Basil. Apparently just to do some names dropping. So he finds Basil in the library with Loyal. You know, Basil is a good guy. You know, he knows that he's kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place. He was a good guy for helping Loyal out and giving him uh, lodgings and shelter and, and, and hot meals every day. But he had to kind of politely ask him to, to relegate himself to the library, which, as we'll find out, Loyal has no problems being in a library. But he asked him to kind of stay clear of the common room and, you know, don't poke your head outside. People, people aren't used to seeing a creature uh, such as Loyal. So... Yeah, everybody would be beneficial if you just kind of hang out back here. Basil does spend some time with Loyal. I think they, they play stones, although the way Jordan explains it, uh, Basil attempts to play stones as, as Loyal is the, the superior stones player. So as I got here, it says, Basil was in the library as Loyal, losing horribly at stones. Rand wastes no time in mentioning who he has been rubbing elbows with. After some initial doubts and being called a Taverette again by Loyal, Basil finally believes Rand. And it's like, you, you met the queen. You, you met the princess. Right. Okay, I'm sure. You meet you her brother too? Okay, okay. Who else did you meet? Yeah, sure, sure. No problem. Uh-huh. And then Loyal just sits back and takes in Rand's whole story and simply just is like, Yep. Tavirin. I knew it. And it's the combination of Rand just piling all these names on names and this story is just too incredulous to believe then loyal chimes in was like yep you got it going on mr tavi ren and then basil puts two and two together and it's more like he almost like what shit no way you met the queen today is it was kind of funny the way that that all kind of trait you can almost see the hamster in the hamster running the wheel in his brain until it all finally clicks he takes in everything Rand says, but then he takes in everything Rand says, including Elida Sedai's unsettling interest in Rand and her prophecy of him being at the center of the darkness or the shadow. Rich did a good job of reading it, but you know, Cliff Notes version, shadow comes over the city and may or may not be replaced by the light, and Rand is at the center of it all. That's still... He's still got that going for him. Basil's like, well, son, you got two days at the most to get out of town. She's, Elida, Elida has seen something keen in you, and she will not let you slip out of her city until she's figured out what it's all about. She may get more prophecies by seeing Rand. She may not. She may sense that he's Taviren. 
may not. We, we know that you know she is an Aes Sedai, so that she has special gifts. And on top of those special gifts, she's a prophet that may or may not be able to, to get a prophecy. And if she can sense that he might be Taviren, then in her mind, maybe that means the, the uh, odds of getting, her, getting prophecies are increased just by being in the vicinity of Rand. He tell, he tell, luckily, Rand, like I said, Rand gave uh, false information of where he was staying at. So there may be some time. Two days is not a lot of time. The way he left Matt last chapter, he's like, Matt, come on. Come on, let's get up. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's go see the false dragon. It's going to be great. Go outside, get some fresh air, blah, blah, blah. It'll be great. And Matt just kind of is, I don't want to do nothing just kind of rolls over, crumbles into a ball, rolls over. And that's the last that Rand has seen of Matt. And his thoughts are like, how am I going to get him out, not just out of town, but literally out of bed? Matt is, he's not going to leave Matt behind. We know that. But Matt is obviously in no state for travel, let's put it. So now Rand's got to figure out how to get out of town with Matt in his current state. It's at this time that Loyal makes a second attempt to join Rand in his travels. Knowing that Matt won't be much of a traveling buddy, Rand accepts his offer this time. So now it's, you know, you can almost hear the, the, the RPG music. Loyal has joined the party. Da, 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 da. So in, he makes a good point. Um, he can be someone that Rand can talk to and have general conversation with. And if needed, he can, he can you know, help with Matt. Uh, no. Help if that's the right term, but he can assist. You know, two hands are better than one. You know, that, that kind of mentality. Loyal is knows they're going their way to Tarvalon, and he's Tarvalon was on his uh, bucket list of places to visit because apparently they keep their grove and they keep their steading uh, or their grove kept up and it's something that he wants to see while he's out on his uh, travels across the world. And so as Rand is accepting Loyal's request to join with them, and they start to try and figure out how are they going to get out of town. One of the maidservants comes up and whispers something in Basil's ear. And you kind of get a, God, not now. You got to be kidding me kind of reaction from Basil. So there are white cloaks in the common room of the Queen's Blessing. And they are asking for a dark friend, a Two Rivers boy. Then Rand is like, what? How, how would they know I'm here? I didn't talk to any white cloaks. What, what do they know with me? Why are they asking for the two rivers boy? I don't even know how they find me. Obviously, these are white cloaks uh, looking for Perrin. Rand has no idea about that, obviously, because he didn't know uh, about Perrin and Egwene's exploits uh, with with the uh, children of the light. All he knows is there's a there are white cloaks now downstairs in the common room asking for a dark friend. It's a boy from the two rivers. Well, crap. I was worried about Elida Sedai. Now I got White Cloaks asking for... Are they asking for me? I mean, who else would be the boy from the Two Rivers in his mind? I mean, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. So he assumes it's him. And Basil assumes it's him too. It's a pretty cool scene though when, when, when um, Basil goes downstairs to the, to the uh, White Cloaks. The head child in charge states that they're looking for a dark friend. A boy from the Two Rivers. He's like, wow, word travels fast. Rand is thinking... How the hell would they know I'm here by now? That doesn't make any sense, but it is what it is. Basil stays true to Tom's friends and said, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nobody here like that. 
we're good queen's men here. We 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 are good, you know, we are good queen's men here. Now saying that to the uh children of light, they take it as saying, Oh, so you support the queen and her and her Aes Sedai witch's uh um escort or her uh counseling of the, by the Aes Sedai's witches. The officer, head head officer in charge, makes a comment about the queen and her advisors. He doesn't just call her witches. I think he even says, you know, someone, you know, a dragon's mark on your door would not be good for business. And it's one of those moments where he finds out that the entire crew of, well, not the, the entire, the entirety of uh, patrons in the Queen's Blessings common room jump up and show their support for Basil and the Queen and turn their arms to the uh, small grouping of white cloaks. I think according to Jordan, some of the, uh, the the head officer keeps his wits about him. They're outnumbered now. I don't know by how many. It's Languin, it's Basil, it's a couple of Languin's uh, underlings, and basically a, a whole bunch of uh, other patrons who, who've been listening to this exchange and were fed up with the White Cloaks throwing their weight around. They're outnumbered. The White Cloaks were outnumbered. The uh, head officer for the White Cloaks keeps his wits about him, but, but I think Jordan comments that some of the... Uh, Lesser, lesser uh, children that are behind him are starting to panic a little bit. They they have their swords up, but the panic is starting to set in that if things go down, it's not going to go well for them. And I love Basil here. He goes full gangster, and he he gives him a three count. You guys need to be out of here by the time I get to three one. Fool, you're fighting with the white cloaks. You don't know what you're doing here. We're, we will bring this whole place to two. You are making an enemy of the White Cloaks, and that is not the way to be. If you don't turn that through, all right, all right, we're going to head out of here. All right, we'll be back. You better not be lying to us. It's a shame for you guys to be labeled as dark friends as well. Very tense scene. I love the way that Basil is, one, holding the fingers up. He's, he's, he's talking them down, and he succeeds. They back off and leave. And as soon as they leave, Basil's reaction is, oh. He has to sit down and like kind of fan himself. <sighs> Who knew I had it in me, huh? So I thought that was kind of cool. Realized that could have gone sideways real quick. Another maid servant comes up to him. He says, there's a lady in the kitchen asking for, and by name, Rand and Matt. Top humorous bits in the whole book, I think. Basil turns to Rand and goes, son, if you brought the daughter heir herself to my inn, we're going to have some words. Brian's reaction is like, no, 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 what? No, 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 no. After he reacts like that to Basil, that he realizes, wait a second. I didn't mention that to anybody at the court. What lady would know me and... <gasps> and he starts, he gets elated and he starts bolting for the kitchen. Basil's like, wait, son, don't come back. You have no idea what... And he doesn't care. He bolts it into the kitchen. It's not a princess, but it's the next best thing. Rand is finally reunited with Moraine, Lan, Egwin, and Perrin. Everybody that they had separated from has made it back. They've all met in Camelin. After all the troubles and tribulations, once they made it to Camelin, and Moraine was able to figure out a path to where these two boys were, even though they didn't have their coins, she was, she was able to get to a spot where they've been. She can do like a honing missile and just homing missile and just shh, there they are, Queen's Blessing. So after all the hugs and handshakes and introductions to Basil Gill, Ma Rain notices that the rat problem in the Queen's Blessing is pretty bad. 
And we find, you know, that's something we learned about before that, that Basil had dropped earlier is that the entire city of Caitlin is infested with rats. And, you know, as we knew from then, rats are potential denizens of the Dark One. So that's Ma Rain's first, first act when, when she gets to the Queen's Blessing and is, and is formally introduced. She's knowing what rats can actually do. She offers to help Basil with with the, with his rat issue. And it's, you know, they have an exchange. They go, oh, Miss Miss Lady Sedaito, no, no, you can and please, please, you know, stay on, on my behalf. And you know, you're guests of the house, and you know, there's no reason for you to go out of your way and do things. You know, she's like, no, 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 I'll take care of the rats. We will stay at your establishment, and I refuse to stay for free. We will pay for our room and our board. We know why she's going after the rats, but Basil doesn't need to know that. She goes off to. Quote, take care of the rats, which I think what she's just doing is putting up a warding spell to keep the rats away from the Queen's Blessing so that no information can be discerned or passed on or whatever. As Rand starts to make their way, take the rest of the party upstairs to to, to their room, Perrin kind of offhand asks, where's Tom? And immediately the mood just becomes so sober. Now one note I have here is before they arrived at the Queen's Blessing, if Rand had been asked that question earlier, he would have just said, we ran into some Urdral and Tom, Tom fell in battle. He's dead. Uh, sacrificing himself to letting us, me and Matt, get out of town. But since he's spoken to Basil, and since he's learned about Tom's past and his survival instincts, I guess is one way to put it, he's upgraded that to saying, I think he's dead. It went from he's dead to I think he's dead. So there's a little, like I said, Rand has upgraded, upgraded his answer since he's met Basil and learned a little more about Tom. Maybe there's more to, maybe there's more to this old Gleeman than meets the eye. But it doesn't change the fact that the mood of the group has now become somber. Um, one, of, one of their group is, lack of a better term, missing and assumed dead. To add to the somber mood, they open the door and see Matt. Matt has not moved an inch since Rand left him this morning. And in that time, Rand has gone to the parade, climbed up walls, fallen down into the gardens of the, the Camelin court, been brought to the queen herself, tugged into a prophecy by, uh, by Elida Sedai, given clemency by the queen and escorted at the gates, saw Master Gill have a run-in with white cloaks. All this happened since Rand last saw Matt. And he opens the door, Matt was still curled up away in a ball. Nothing. No movement, no eating, no nothing. Before they go in, he says, what's wrong with Matt? Well, he's not sick per se, but he's not well. I mean, wording it's kind of a wording issue, but Rand's not sure. But so you know something's up. He is a, you know, they open up the door, they see Matt, and he is a complete miserable. He's creepy, he's cold. He seems to have a very drive through the heart way of talking to people. You know, Nynaeve comes up to check on him. Oh my God, you're, you know, this, that, this, that, you know, get me my bag. He drives, like I said, a drive through the heart way of speaking. He, he, may, he, he comments on Nynaeve and that attractive young women aren't normally wisdoms or, or that the wisdom shouldn't see herself as a young, attractive woman. But you are Nynaeve, huh? You are, you think of yourself as that as well, huh? Then he sees Egwene and he comments, pretty young Egwene, always looking to, you know, always looking to learn and blah, blah, blah. He, he's making him really upset. Then he shifts to Perrin 
And it's like, ho ho, someone's been changed. I can tell by that, huh? The parent is immediately like, because parent during this whole reunion has been keeping away from direct eye contact with Rand because of his now golden eyes. And he wasn't making eye contact with Matt either, but Matt immediately was like, like, like I had a dagger through the heart. Ah, 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 someone's been doing something they shouldn't have. And immediately Perrin is like, oh, God. And he just keeps a somber look in his head down and won't look up for anything. Rand comments a couple of times that, you know, he's happy to see Perrin. Perrin's happy to see him, but he's not making eye contact. He keeps looking, his, he keeps his eyes down. He's not sure why that is yet. So as she comes into the room, Rain comments that the rats should not be a problem for them anymore. And then sees Matt and immediately is like, get away, get away. She knows something is desperately wrong. She sees, I don't want to say taint and I don't want to say evil, but she sees the darkness and evil that is brewing in him. And she's just like, get away. And everybody backs off, except, of course, 90, who's like, screw you. This is one of my enemies. I'm not moving. And Maureen runs up, grabs her by the shoulders, and just pulls her aside. Get away from him. She's checking him out. She's looking at She knows something's really wrong. I think she probably has an idea of what the problem is. But as she gently lays a hand on him, Matt lashes out with the ruby dagger. Lan is there to stop Matt from striking true. He stops the blade within inches of her cheek. I think Jordan, Jordan's um, wording here is Matt or Moraine and Lan were still in the doorway. Moraine comes up, Lan's still in the doorway and checks on Matt. And from the doorway, Lan is able to get to Matt and stop him from stabbing Moraine. And I think Jordan uses the phrasing of without any concern for the space in between. One minute, Lan was in the doorway. The next, he was at the bedside, as if he had not bothered with the intervening space. I love that. I love that kind of vision. And once again, we are still learning all the abilities of Aes Sedai and uh, Warders. One of them is enhanced, I guess, enhanced speed or enhanced reaction to each other. Like I said, it's still very early in the series, and not everything is, is kind of spelled out between Aes Sedai and Warders. But I love the I love the wording, you know. He moves across the room without any regard for time and distance. Picture the scene. Matt curled up in a ball. The only movement was his arm with the dagger, and he's stabbing at Maureen's face. Maureen did not move. She did not flinch. The dagger is inches from her cheek. Lan is holding his hand like an iron clasp keeping it from striking true. And the only movement that Matt has is the hand shaking with the dagger. And Maureen now realizes what happened. She says that she could attempt to save Matt, but she cannot at this time guarantee his survival. Very dark, very dark magic, very dark evil is festering inside him. And she is only one eye to die. One thing that we know we've seen so far is that Aes Sedai are extremely powerful, extremely wise, and can cast all kinds of different magic. But there is a limit to their power. Lorraine is fearful that her abilities 
might not be enough, but she is going to try and attempt to help Matt. She turns to Rand and says, I thought I made it clear. Don't take any of the treasure Mordath gives you. I warned you. I warned you. I freaking told you guys not to take any of the treasure he gives you. Or that's when Rand says, well, technically he didn't give us any treasure. Matt says he just took it without his permission. We knew, you know, the readers and we knew at that time that was not a good, that was not a good call. You know, in the world of evil and magic, legal loopholes aren't going to jive. It was obvious at that time that anything that Mordeth had in that pile was, lack of a better term, tainted. And you were warned not to touch it. You were correct. She did say, don't take anything he gives you. But it was kind of obvious not to touch it. Now we're seeing the ramifications in full blossom of what happened once he took that dagger with him. One thing she also comments is that, you know, the evil from the dagger is like a beacon. And what we find out is now that string of chapters where Rand and Matt were constantly, constantly being hounded by dark friends at every turn, all due to the dagger. The dagger, the evil emanating from it, was a beacon calling all dark friends. It was basically just a big, loud, here I am, here I am, here I am. There was nothing they could have done. They didn't know. And Matt wasn't about ready to get rid of the dagger. It was slowly creeping into him. The evil of Shadar Logoth, of, of Mashadar, of, of the gray, of, of all that was making its way into Mazel. He wasn't giving up the ruby dagger. And the, the evil consumed him. It made him untrustworthy. It made him question everybody. And it, it, it emanated into this callous, not caring person that when faced with an Aes Sedai who laid hands on him, he went to, he went for the, you know, he went for the kill. And if that dagger had touched her, who knows how this story would have turned out if that dagger uh, rang true and, and struck Maureen's to die. But the chapter ends with Maureen asking Land to stay with her and the rest of the crew um, make it down to the lot, uh, make it downstairs to give her some space to work and see what she can do with Matt. And that's how the chapter ends. This chapter was not as beefy as the last chapter, but Jordan does cram a lot of information in here. We get the reunion, we get everybody back together, per se, Sans, Tom, and the real Matt. We get an episode of White Cloaks. And the confusing nature of Rand thinking that the White Cloaks were after him, we get the sense we get we get to finally see the culmination of the dagger's effect on Matt, and how this is a dire situation. Because as we learned about throughout this time, Maureen came to Emmons Field, came to the two rivers to find these three boys, uh, boys of a certain age, and she's just learning now. How important, how important these boys are to the pattern. And she is not about to let one of them go. All three are important. She's not sure how important yet, but she can ill afford to lose any anybody, much less one of the three Emmonsfielders, Emmonsfield boys. So that'll take us into readings with Rob. I did take the exchange with Moraine and Matt, or, you know, exchange with Matt and the other Emmons fielders, and then Maureen's reaction to seeing 
Matt in his current condition. And now, the Taveren present to you Readings with Rob. Chapter 41, Old Friends and New Threats. Matt's not sick exactly, he said then. It's... you'll see. He flung open the door to the room he had shared with Matt. Look who's here, Matt! Matt was still curled up in a ball on the bed, just as Rand had left him. He raised his head to stare at them. How do you know they're really who they look like? He said hoarsely. His face was flushed, the skin tight and slick with sweat. How do I know you're who you look like? Not sick? Nynaeve gave Rand a disdainful look as she pushed past him, already unslinging her bag from her shoulders. Everybody changes, Bat rasped. How can I be sure? Perrin? Is that you? You've changed, haven't you? His laugh sounded more like a cough. Oh, yes. You've changed. To Rand's surprise, Perrin dropped onto the edge of the other bed with his head in his hands, staring at the floor. Matt's hacking laughter seemed to pierce him. Nynaeve knelt beside Matt's bed and put a hand to his face, pushing up his headcloth. He jerked back from her with a scornful look. His eyes were bright and glazed. You're burning, she said. But you should not be sweating with this much fever. She could not keep the worry out of her voice. Rand, you and Perrin fetch some clean clothes and as much cool water as you can carry. I'll bring your temperature down first, Matt. Pretty naive, Matt spat. A wisdom isn't supposed to think of herself as a woman, is she? Not a pretty woman, huh? But you do, don't you? Now, you can't make yourself forget that you're a pretty woman now, and it frightened you. Everybody changes. Nynaeve's face paled as he spoke. Whether with anger or something else, Rand could not tell. Matt gave a sly laugh, and his feverish eyes slid to Egwene. Pretty Egwene, he quirked. Pretty as Nynaeve. And you share other things now, don't you? Other dreams? What do you dream about now? Egwene took a step back from the bed. We are all safe from the Dark One's eyes for the time being, Maureen announced as she walked into the room with Lan at her heels. Her eyes fell on Matt and she stepped through the doorway, and she hissed as if she had been touched by a hot stove. Get away from him! Nynaeve did not move except for turning to stare at the Aes Sedai in surprise. In two quick steps, Maureen seized the wisdom by the shoulders, hauling her across the floor like a sack of grain. Nynaeve struggled and protested, but Maureen did not release her until she was well away from the bed. The wisdom continued her protests as she got to her feet, angrily straightening her clothes. But Maureen ignored her completely. The Aes Sedai watched Matt to the exclusion of everything else, eyeing him the way she would a viper. All of you stay away from him, she said, and be quiet. Matt stared as intently as she. He bared his teeth in a silent, snarling rictus and pulled himself into an even tighter knot, but he never took his eyes from hers. Slowly she put one hand on him, lightly, on a knee drawn up to his chest. A convulsion shook him at her touch. A shudder of revulsion spasming through his entire body, and abruptly he pulled one hand out, 
slashing at her face with the ruby-hilted dagger. One minute Lan was in the doorway. The next he was at the bedside, as if he had not bothered with the intervening space. His hand caught Matt's wrist, stopping the slash as if it had struck stone. Still, Matt held himself in that tight ball. Only the hand with the dagger tried to move, straining against the warder's implacable, implacable grip. Matt's eyes never left Moraine, and they burned with hate. Moraine also did not move. She did not flinch from the blade only inches from her face, as she had not when he first struck. How did he come by this? She asked in a steel voice. I asked if Mordeth had given you anything. I asked and I warned you, and you said he had not. That was Readings with Rob. If there's a passage in an upcoming chapter you wish to have read on the podcast, simply tweet us at Pod with your request. All right, that was Readings with Rob. Hope you enjoyed that. Next week, we have chapter 42, Remembrance of Dreams. That chapter is going to be a good chapter, a lot of information. We had the action of the chapter 40, a slight bit of action here in chapter 41, at least with Matt and the Dagger. And now we get into a few chapters. It's more or less planning for the uh, end of book one. We are now through or 10, 11 chapters to the end of this book. And I think that Jordan is prepping everyone for the final conflict uh, of this book. Look forward to that. Hopefully I can get at least one, if not two, of my cohorts back for chapter 42. Otherwise... At the very least, you'll have me running solo again, but it's all good. Just wanted to share our thoughts, share my thoughts on this book and this great series, and ain't no getting off this train. Having said that, I am going to... Hmm, I'm going to sit in the common room with my hand on my sword hilt and wait for the White Cloaks to say something bad to Queen Wargase so I can jump into action. That's what I'm going to go do. All right, guys. It was fun talking to you. Feel free to comment. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, TaviaRenPod. Feel free to hit us up on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Reddit, anywhere you want. We will be there to talk to you all things Wheel of Time. Until then, guys, take care. Now that our heroic trio have left the familiar confines of the two rivers, they find themselves being chased by all sorts of denizens of the Dark One. Our party has been scattered, and the boys separated from Marvrain and Lan. Let us hope that luck, or some other force, can keep them safe. Uh, Bill? Bill? Billiam! Put that dagger down! You have no idea where in creation that's been! No, no, Rich. I don't have an extra cloak with me. Maybe if you didn't ride your horse straight into the Aranel, you wouldn't have this problem, hmm? For crying out loud, Robert, I know that girl from Berlon said weird things to you, but you shouldn't let it get under your skin so much. What are you, Eleven? You all remind me of a younger version of myself. Why, back in Watch Hill, I would...
Hello friends, this is Troidal Power, host of the Troidal Power Presents the Power Playthroughs podcast with Troidal Power, a podcast where I, your host, Troidal Power, play through games in a powerful way. And I'm inviting you to listen to Troidal Power Presents the Power Playthroughs podcast with Troidal Power, a podcast where I, your host, Troidal Power, play through games in a powerful way. You can find it and a lot of other weird shows at probablywork.com. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.